Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural Hurry and Yell podcast, where we are going to talk about some things that are going on in the next week, college football related. We are sitting here drinking Rendezvous, Rendezvous Porter from the Old School House Brewery in Winthrop. We got Michigan, Florida. I think Michigan's going to kill them. You do. It's because Florida still hasn't had a good quarterback since Tim Tebow? Yes. That and their offensive line sucks. Every year, McElwain says they need to get better on the offensive line. Every year, it sucks. So, that would lead you to believe that it's still going to suck. And Michigan, even though they're replacing everyone on defense, they still run the same blitzes, which they come from everywhere at any time in any combination. So, I don't think they're going to be able to protect Malik Zaire or whoever the other bum is that they're going to try it out there. Alabama's not going to run the ball well. And Michigan's probably got a whole bunch of bag of tricks on offense. Oh, yeah. Harbaugh's been saliv- salivating for this game. There's going to be some Maryland eye formation. There's going to be some power eye. There's going to be some pullback traps. Three tight ends. Lots of wham plays. Yep. Pull, Slants, posts. Pullback guard. Bootlegs. Tons of bootlegs. Yep. That's the only way that that quarterback can. Uh, the quarterback throws pretty well on the move. I mean. Not bad. Yes. I mean, not bad on the move. He's not, you know, he's not a great quarterback. He's, For a 6'5", 225-pound, slow-footed white guy, he does throw well on the move. He's what they need, though, and it's just solid but not spectacular. He's he's Alex Smith. He's exactly what, they, what they're looking for. A guy who doesn't turn the ball over, doesn't Except take... Except against un- Ohio State last year. Well, yeah, that... He, un- he underestimated the speed a little bit on that team, which, you know, in the Big Ten, it's easy to do because yeah. you think Big Ten, you play you play the Big Ten for 11 straight weeks. You play the teams like Iowa, like Nebraska, Northwestern, Northwestern, Purdue, teams that are slow on defense. Purdue still has a football program. Believe it or not, they do. Hazel shut it down. <laughs> Perhaps he should have. You know, well, that's the only advantage, advantage Florida can have is speed because of Florida. But when I've seen them play, I have not been impressed with – I don't think they have great speed. I think they have speed like Tennessee has speed, and I don't think Tennessee has great speed. And Michigan, after set, first quarter against in the Orange Bowl last year, settling into the speed, they were fine. That was a that was an entertaining game, that uh, Michigan-Florida State game last year. I think, yes. But, I think Michigan should have won that game, but their tight end. Jake Butt. Got hurt, and then they blew a coverage late. Yep. The old slot wheeler out for a touchdown on man coverage, no safety help. One of my favorite plays to run in NCAA. Rest in peace. Oh, cheers to that. So I think Michigan wins easily. Maybe not as easily. I think it'll be close for half and then they'll pull away. I think I think I'm with you. It'll be toss sweeps going for twenty yards. I'm with you. I don't think I don't think Florida's gonna be able to hold up against the, the Michigan front. Um I trust Michigan's offensive line just because I trust Harbaugh. When it comes to offensive linemen, I trust Harbaugh probably more than any other coach in the country. Just to see what he did at Stanford and at, you know, when he was with the Niners in the last couple years at Michigan. I mean, that team, they're always solid up front. And they never, I mean, Iowa being the exception, because Iowa is very solid up front, always. They never lose to teams they should lose to under Harbaugh. So, and I don't think they should lose to Florida. 
I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I think I think I'd be surprised if they throw more than like 25 passes the entire game. Just 25 that many, huh? That's a that was a very conservative high number. I was thinking 16 for 20 for about 181 yards and two touchdowns. They're gonna get a. They're gonna get a. He also has Stanford's O line coach there. They're gonna get those safeties creeping up, trying to get too many in the box, and then they're gonna hit them over the top. That is how it's done. Go from a team that is very well coached to a team that is not. Um, I'll get to Tennessee. Texas A and M, UCLA. That game is on Monday. Um, both coaches are perhaps coaching for their job this year, both Sumlin and Jim Mora. Uh, I don't think anyone has done less with more the last three years than Jim Mora. Well, if you ask him, it's not his fault. No, it's not. It's Drake Neuheisel's fault. It's, it's, or it's his player's fault. Or his, his punter's fault. Yeah. Oh my God. I'll never forget the video of him ripping into his punter. Because he asked him to punt into a gale force wind, and when that didn't work, he screamed at his punter. Yeah. Um, I. This is perhaps the only game I would root for Texas A&M. I'm not a big Texas A&M fan. I like Sumlin. Not a big A&M fan, but I, I can't conceivably root for UCLA. I think Josh Rosen might be the most overrated player in the entire country. Um, he, I know he's on his third offensive coordinator in three years. I know he has talent, but I can't see him succeeding in the NFL as a top three pick, which is what everyone is projecting for him next year. And I think it's because he's a douchebag. And he plays for a douchebag who runs a douchebag program. Yeah. And he, he does have Michigan's offensive coordinator from the last uh, couple years. So they're going to try and run more of that power pro style play action that they thought they were running last year even though they don't know how to coach power offense. Well, I mean, but Pat, even though, you know, they don't know how to coach, their great offensive line had, what, three players on the Pac-12 first and second team. Which I'm not sure how that happens because they couldn't run the ball. And they couldn't protect the quarterback either because, you know, Rosen was injured and the backup couldn't do anything. They also scored, I think I think if I saw it correctly, only 17 points against California, which I think is enough to get an entire staff fired. Last year, especially, I think Cal's going to be better this year. I oh, I think Cal's not rec- terrible next. Cal is not going to. No, be- I was wrong. They scored 10 points, 10 points against Cal last year. I don't think Cal is going to be better record-wise. I I like Justin Wilcox. He's defensive-minded coach. I think he's going to hold his own. I don't think it's going to show much this year, uh, especially since he got hired so late that he couldn't recruit. But I think that it's going to be kind of like Oregon State a couple years ago where you can see them trending in the right direction. Um, Last year, Oregon State was a a tougher out than they were the year before. Uh, Today, notwithstanding with their loss to Colorado State. By the way, everyone, welcome to college football. As we are recording this, checked, Oregon State was down 58 to 27 to a Mountain West team on the road. As we are recording this, college football has officially started with what he just <laughs> said. Um, everyone has bad games, but I think Oregon State 
with that, even with that loss, was trending in the right direction. I think Cal is going to be doing something similar. I see him going maybe three and nine this year. Yeah, I think they're going to be two and ten or three and nine. Their uh, their non conference schedule is USC, Weber State, and Mississippi. That's probably two losses. Probably Assuming Mississippi State can field the team. Mississippi can field the team. Probably two losses. Um, they're gonna they're gonna towards the end of the year they're gonna scare someone in Pac twelve play. They always play the Arizona schools tough, and the Arizona schools aren't that good this year anyways. So I could see them nipping one of those schools. Um, There's just no talent on defense. There's no one on defense. They'll get there. I, I, I think – it's, it's a four-year job, and I don't know if he's going to get four years. I hope he does because I think he is – I think he is going to be a good college coach. I don't know if he's going to be a good college coach in the Pac-12 because for some reason, defensive minds just don't do very well in the Pac-12 on a consistent basis the also, last few years. when he was he was the D.C. at UW, he was the D.C. at USC. And every time they went up against a spread team, he got lit up. He does not – and then he goes to Wisconsin, and you're in the Big Ten, you're running against uh, Michigan, running traps, and you're going against Iowa – Running the same offense they ran in 1954. Fueling against Rutgers, who doesn't have yeah, an offense. Rutgers doesn't even. I mean, do they run plays? I don't know. So you're you're really, it's a different schemes you're up against. He did better in the SEC when he was with Tennessee for a year, because it was less spread back then. He has trouble with spread. I don't think he gets how do you stop spread offenses. You go have him. He'll give Stanford fits because it's pro style stuff. The big game is going to be fun. I think I, th- I think that game will be entertaining in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, it's going to take him a long time to build it. I hope he's got a great staff. I hope they get what he does. He does the offensive coordinator, uh, Bo Baldwin from Eastern, finally getting a shot to be a, a D1 OC. They got a good offensive line coach, the guy from Oregon for 75 years. I think he's there. Um, defensive coordinator somebody I like, too. Tim DeRuiter. For some reason, when I saw his name, I thought it was good, so I'm going to stick with that gut feeling. We were talking about UCLA and Texas A&M. Yeah, we kind of got sidetracked a little bit. There. Texas A&M is one of the great September teams, or like Virginia Tech was in the early 2000s, where they were going to be 4-0 at the end of September, probably 6-0 in mid-October. They finished 9-3. A&M always starts 4-5-0. Usually one of those games is against and Alabama or LSU early, uh, so they sneak into the top ten. They have a good out-of-conference win that gets everybody all excited. And then they finish 8-5 and five every year. I don't uh, see anything different this year. I think that – is John Chavis still the DC there? I believe he is. I think the only difference is is I think 8-5 and five gets someone fired this year. I think he's got to win 10 games or he's out. Yeah, I think so too. I think he if he – Beats uh, Alabama or LSU, maybe he can get away with nine. But yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I think if Mora goes anything less than eight and four this year, he should be fired. And that's partially because I just don't like him. And I think he runs a dirty. He coaches his players to be dirty. He whines a lot. He complains. Nothing is ever his fault. And he's an emotional turd. <laughs> As a fan, <laughs> as a fan of another team in the Pac-12, I want UCLA to keep Mora. 
forever. I don't because I don't want to be watching my team play in constant fear that a cheap shot is going to kill one of the guys that's on my tr- school's team. That's true. And yeah. that's a constant worry for anyone when they play UCLA is the cheap shots. They're always headhunting. It's dirty football. It is. It and is. It's just poorly coached football. There's no details. It's always a ton of penalties. They're fighting with each other on the sidelines. It's just... Morris fighting with his coordinators. Yeah, he's yelling at his athletic director that he wants to be refs fired after games rather than just, you know, accepting that you lost. So back to the game. <laughs> I think Texas A&M wins easily. I think they should have won um, by 17-plus last year, but they let him in late in the game because they're not in great shape. I think everybody knows uh, at Texas A&M that they need to have a good year and they're going to play with more urgency. I still think that someone gets fired at the end of the year because he's not going to win 10 games. I agree. I think that A&M is going to make life miserable for Rosen because you know they're going to have those defensive ends that – I mean, obviously no one's going to be as good as Miles Garrett, but they're going to have some pretty good defensive ends that are still going to be able to get after uh, after Rosen. And the house, and he just loves the blitz. And I don't think Rosen has the head for it. I don't either. So, he's a great athlete. He looks like a good quarterback. I don't think he's as committed as he should be. Or – He's, he just doesn't see things as well as he probably should. Yes, I agree. So I think I'm with you. I think He's been coached up horribly, too. Well, having three offensive coordinators in three years doesn't help. Uh, I'm with you. They never filed, fired Noel Mazzoni. They had a style. They got the ball of their guys in space. Then they went, who, ran, who called the plays last year? Tui? Mm-hmm. And that was just line them up and it was just it was BS football. Now they're going to run. It's another system. It's a more complicated system with more shifts and um, pre-snap looks and everything like that. And I think it's going to be difficult for him. And they're probably going to be just an average team. I think so. And I think he's gone after this year. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed indeed. Um, Another game that is interesting to me, uh, West Virginia, Virginia Tech. I think that one is on Sunday. I think that one is on Sunday. Uh, It's going to be the day. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to watch that game, but I think we're going to be able to keep an eye on it. I I think Virginia Tech lost a lot. I like their their coach, though. I like Justin Fuente. And Bud Foster's a stud. Well, Bud Foster, I think, started uh, at Virginia Tech when they started their football program. He's been there that long. Seems like it. He yeah. also has one of the great goatees in sports. So, You know, there's not a lot of players that have good, good goatees, coaches that have good goatees. I mean, what, Chuck Pagano has a goatee. He's the first person I thought of. I mean, but who else has a good goatee in sports? You tend to see a good goatee out of a Midwestern, bottom rung, Iowa State kind of program coach. Indiana, that kind of thing. But that's about it. Uh, West Virginia under Dana has been great offense and bad defense, then great defense and bad offense. And now they're probably as complete as they've been. So I think they're going to win. 
And Virginia Tech's replaced a lot. They got a new quarterback. <sighs> Talent still doesn't always fit with the coach's system. The past few years as well, Virginia Tech, it feels like it's had a loss early. So it's the exact opposite of what you were saying earlier about them going 6-0 and and being in the top 10. Um, they've, they've lost a couple games, one or two early, and then they're just forgotten about, and then they are kind of come on strong. Yeah, yeah, then you look at the record, and they're 10-3 and 9-4. And, and they're playing in the ACC championship yeah. game and having a chance against Clemson at the end. Yeah. I mean, imagine if – uh, the quarterback doesn't throw that pick, you know, maybe, maybe they get there. Maybe Clemson loses. Then all hell breaks loose and God only knows is in the playoffs. Clemson's probably, no, that'd be two losses. Yep. Penn two. State would have been the playoffs, which means they would have been out early. Penn State, Ohio. So it would have been Penn, Penn State, State Ohio been. State, uh, UW, University of Washington and Alabama. Then it would have been probably Alabama, Penn State, and Ohio State, oh, Washington. I, would, I actually would have loved to see that so that we could step the charade of Penn State as a good program because they lose 59 to nothing or something of that sort, just as Alabama did to Michigan State two years ago, and the Spartans oh. still have not recovered. Right. Well, and what Clemson did to Ohio State last year in the Fiesta Bowl, too. I mean, that game was 31 to nothing, and it wasn't that close. They I mean, bled them slowly. Yeah, that's it's just, well, Alabama did that to UW as well. Yeah. But it was a, you're right. It was just slow and steady. And it was what good teams do. Alabama's been doing that for years. I didn't think Clemson had it in them. But the last couple of years, Dabo has proven me wrong. Hired a good staff. Even Mac Brown won a national title. That's true. And he, he did it. That's. <laughs> He did it a lot because of his staff. Who was that DC? Muschamp. Muschamp was there, and the next year he moved to Auburn, right? Yeah, and, and then they brought in Chiswick. I mean, basically, <laughs> no comments. Muschamp, <laughs> Muschamp, and Chiswick, and oh God, who's there now? Who's at Auburn now? Who the hell is at Auburn now? Coaching the defense? Malzahn, no. Oh, yeah. All three of them, it feels like. Like, it's just a train. You know, like, Muschamp goes first, then Chiswick, then Malzahn. So you're saying Malzahn's going to get fired and go to Florida? Or, in Chiswick's case, be a coordinator at North Carolina? I (laughs) Maybe somewhere in the south. I think if Auburn doesn't win 10 games this year, he's in trouble. Honestly, and you haven't I think heard. You can pull off nine and four and be okay. You haven't heard a lot about it, but uh, they have high high expectations in Auburn this year because they have, for the first time since Cam, really, they have a quarterback. They have the transfer from Baylor, Jarrett Stidham, who played really, really well in that brief four game appearance that he had before he what broke his leg or something. So this is the first time that Auburn has a guy that can actually throw a football. I mean, they made the national championship game with Nick Marshall at quarterback. Yeah, I think, though, that people are getting – they're adjusting to Auburn's offense. Because you look at 8-5, 7-6, 8-5. They're not the only team that runs that offense. That the um, up-tempo, hurry-up. 
spread up and you know bring guys in motion, run beer. Texas A&M runs it now. Um, I mean, just in the just in the Auburn, SEC. Uh, Alabama, they uh, they've learned. They they started to run some of that stuff. You see the beer all the time. Used to be that Auburn was the only team that would run. Auburn and Oregon were the only teams that ran any elements of the beer. And that's why they play the And team. now you see it out of the shotgun. You see a lot of that reading the defensive tackle, that kind of motion and all that stuff. So what game were we talking about? Virginia Tech, West Virginia? Yep. I, One last thing on Virginia Tech. I like their coach. I like how when you watch them, watch all of the different ways he uses his linemen to create angles in the running game. It's spread, but there's lots of pulling and trapping and tight ends involved and motion. It's all very clever and creative. He's a good coach, and he's probably a better X's and O's guy than Beamer. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Virginia Tech is going – I think this game is going to be close. I think West Virginia is going to win the game. I I think I'm going to go with – they got a great defensive coordinator against a new quarterback. Yeah, I think it's going to be close. I, I think West Virginia has a little bit more experience, and I think that's going to be the difference, but I think this game's going to be close. And if Virginia Tech wins, it wouldn't surprise me at all. No, it wouldn't surprise me. It would probably be a close game. So, I mean, those were the big, big games of the uh, first weekend of college football. Um, I've got a couple on my list. A couple other games? We've got Georgia Tech and Tennessee. Georgia Tech, I think, is going to win that game because Tennessee will not be disciplined enough to stop a triple option. I completely agree. I think that they're not a well-coached team. They play on emotion and momentum. Uh, they don't develop their players well. I don't. I think that they play in spurts, kind of like Penn State, where you're just relying on big plays and fumbles and turnovers that's not sustainable really and and that's another thing about georgia tech georgia tech does not beat themselves yeah they're gonna run the ball 60 times for 350 yards and they're gonna go three for five in the passing game with a touchdown i don't think there's any way tennessee is going to slow them down or stop them uh i think that butch jones has built a house of cards there and i think the tennessee fans know it so in two years, he'll be out of a job. Paul Johnson's just he's doing what he's he does. Chugging along. They're going to run their little fullback traps. They're going to triple option, the buck sweep and all that stuff. And they're going to just grind them down in the dust, probably. It's funny to me that two of the best receivers the last 12 years, 15 years in the NFL have come from Georgia Tech. Demarius Thomas and Calvin, and Calvin Johnson. Well, that was a different time. That was, that was, uh, what was this, O'Leary. O'Leary was still yeah. the coach there. Yeah, but still, you know, because you don't. You're right, but even then, you don't think receivers because I think Calvin was there for Paul Johnson's first year. No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. Okay. No, he was uh, unhappily married to the great quarterback Reggie Ball, where they they just couldn't get him the ball. They cannot get Calvin Johnson, of all people, the ball. Yep. Tennessee also is breaking in a new quarterback. Joshua Dobbs is finally gone. He, uh, Did you hear he's uh, you know, an honor roll or all that crap? Every CBS game, they talked about what a great student he was. 
and somehow that was going to make him a great quarterback. It never happened. Well, he, he also Andre Woodson when he was a Kentucky trainer. He also looked like he was forty. I mean, yeah. he his hairline is receding worse than mine, you know. And we're in our early early thirties, and he he did he looked way older than both of us. So. Um, but yeah, so they're breaking in a new quarterback. I'm with you breaking in new quarterbacks. Week one usually is a recipe for disaster. Like why I picked, uh, why I went with you on West Virginia over Virginia tech. It's also, this doesn't, uh, Oregon state was breaking a new quarterback today. It was supposed to be to unlock their key to greatness. That's right. That was a top five JC guy. I think 58 27 final. They tried to go up-tempo. Oregon State did, playing a mile high in the air, in the heat, when you're from Corvallis, Oregon, in the Willamette Valley. And they tried to go up-tempo early to wear down Colorado State. Needless to say, they didn't work. They scored seven points in the second half. Colorado State scored 34. The biggest takeaway from this game is college football is back. That's the biggest takeaway. That's all you need to know. Oregon State, you know, they're gonna they're gonna scare some people in the Pac-12. Maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They will. Cal. And well, they're gonna beat Cal. Yeah. Uh, I, Arizona. Yeah. They're gonna scare one of the Washington schools. They're not gonna win. So. They're not gonna I win. But they're gonna so. scare them. They play. So. I think that the they the, they play the Cougs early. I I thought that if you're gonna play if you're gonna play and beat this team, you're gonna. If you're going to blow out the Beavers, you're going to play them early. So they play Wazoo early. Wazoo's going to blow them out. I don't know when they play UW. But I, I think, think they UW's play probably going to blow them out. Again. I think they play UW mid-October, I want to say. And that one is in Corvallis. So well, I we, we do have – I got a couple other games listed on my list of games to talk about. Indiana versus Ohio State. It's Thursday, the Thursday game, which is typically reserved for South Carolina and, and Georgia. Vanderbilt. South Carolina and Georgia. And South Carolina plays Vanderbilt to a 13-9 victory every single year. The funny thing about this game is if you wanted to watch it, all you have to do is watch it on Twitter. It is going to be on Twitter live. I did uh, not know that. It is, yeah. So as long as you have a Twitter, just go ahead and and. Go to the, the Twitter website. You can hit the watch live. Uh, I was actually watching the watch live yesterday. It wasn't a sporting, it wasn't a live sporting event on watch live, which I thought was kind of funny, but it was 1995 ALDS game five between the Mariners and the Yankees. Mariner fan, remember where I was exactly at nine years old during that game. So uh, I will admit while I was at work, I spent about an hour watching that game. Um, did you did you break down crying when it was the last great moment in Mariners history? No, the only great moment. But I will history? I will admit when Doug Strange walked in the eighth inning to tie after David Cohen had thrown roughly three hundred four pitches. I uh, I gave myself I gave a little fist pump, and actually I went to BaseballReference.com and looked it up because I always forget his pitch count, hundred and forty seven. And yet, he still pitched for what another decade? Yeah, he threw a. And we have guys getting pulled at ninety pitches now. He threw a no hitter a couple years later. The lesson, as always, pitch counts are bullshit, and mechanics are far more important. All you have to do 
to know that is true is look at the San Francisco Giants. They won three World Series in five years, and they didn't have pitch counts or innings restrictions on anyone. Madison Bumgarner, if you're good to pitch, you're going out there, and that's why they won three World Series. I mean, I read he allowed one run in 21 innings of a World Series. He pitched in a third of all of the World Series innings and allowed one run, and they won. Well, that's enough baseball. <laughs> had to get, had to get, had to slide it in there. It's still technically baseball season. Kevin so. Wilson, the former Indiana head coach, is the Ohio State offensive coordinator. Kevin Wilson is an offensive wizard, and if anyone can get Ohio State's offense, which although they had a great team last year, it sucked. They couldn't throw the ball downfield. Uh, they had a lot of talent, as they always do, and they kind of turtle up and John Cooper themselves in big games <laughs> and Wilson is just he's a hell of a coach he scored a ton of points two years ago with a senior senior quarterback who wore I think number 21 like this is the 1960s uh, with Indiana of all teams so I think Ohio State's going to have a better team this year. They got a senior quarterback, JT Barrett, in his 17th year. I was just going to say, how is JT Barrett still there? I have no idea. So for college basketball, when there's a player that we feel like has been there forever, we call it the Drew Neitzel All-Stars because Drew Neitzel, the point guard for Michigan State, was there for my entire high school and college, it felt like he was there for eight years. Jerry McNamara is another one. Aaron Kraft is another one. It's usually a white point guard because those are the ones that stay four <laughs> years, but they start as freshmen. Uh, Aaron Kraft, Kevin Pangos for Gonzaga, players like that. I feel like for college football, we should call it the JT Barrett All-Stars for college football just because JT Barrett, it feels like, has been there forever. Chris Leak was at Florida forever. Uh, I, another one this year, Luke Falk at WSU. Feels yeah. like he's been there forever. John Ross was at UW forever. John, yes, that's UW a good call. UW did have a running back who was on his seventh year of eligibility two years ago. Deontay Cooper, I think was his name. I think he's still there, it feels like. He actually had the option to get another season of eligibility to enter his eighth year, and he turned it down. Yeah. Chris Leak was a great call. By the way, an old favorite of mine, old both of ours favorites. He went to he got recruited by the Zucker to Florida. Uh, run a pro style offense. Yeah, that didn't go well because Zucker runs up can't coach. Urban Meyer comes in, runs an offense that doesn't fit with Leak's talents, and he still guides them to a national championship. And not only that, he had a freshman breathing down his neck by the name of Tim Tebow. So Chris Leak, wherever you are, Drew Knight's all star, and wherever you are, here's to you, Chris Leak. All right, so that OSU Indiana game, and it's going to be a blowout. Ohio State's going to win, and I'm looking forward to seeing what Kevin Wilson's doing in that offense. Okay, LSU BYU. This is a major contrast in styles. (laughs) You've got these 18 year old fast track athletes for LSU against these 24-year-old BYUs that have families, they have, they're married, they have kids, they came back from a mission. 
it's they're probably in you know middle upper management of the company you know but still being able to play college football for some reason BYU is I'm, I really like their new coach I didn't like Rocco Mendenhall he was it was really a dirty program as far as illegal hits they probably led the league in targeting calls and then complaining about the targeting calls LSU has a new offensive coordinator a new full-time head coach their offensive coordinator is the only guy who outdueled uh Clemson's DC what's his name Brent Venables Venables only guy who outdueled Venables last year if anyone can get that inept LSU offense that's been spinning their wheels since Jimbo Fisher left and Gary Croton had one or two good years with Jimbo's players and running Jimbo's offense. Um, I think it's this guy, Matt, Ka- I forget what his name is, Kavanaugh? I don't know. I think so. I think it is. So I think it's going to be a good game. I'm excited to see what's going on with LSU, even though I do not like that they fired Les Miles. Matt Hatter was great for college football, and he should have had a lifetime contract. But Ed Ogeron is also great for college football. <laughs> I think he's eating gumbo <laughs> as we speak. That man. Is there any more man that's Southern like that than Ed Ogeron? He, I mean, he's a fast is talker. The Bayou. Yep. Can't understand. He's, you can understand every third word he he's says. He's basically that coach for the water boy that wore overalls. And yep. There's nipples in that last scene. Yep. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great call. Uh, by the way, his tongue was ripped out in the movie, so that's a really yep. That's why you couldn't that's... understand him. Oh, yep. But uh, Ed Ogeron definitely is is a Bayou boy. This is definitely his dream job. I honestly thought he should have gotten the job at USC uh, because he did lead them. I thought he should have been given a chance. I don't know if he would have succeeded there, but I thought he should have been given given a chance. Obviously, uh, Clay Helton. Seems like, as of right now, is the right guy for the job. Granted, at USC, that can change in a heartbeat. Yeah, I still don't know what's, what to think of him. He's not – I know USC thinks that they want a star for a head coach, which brings up the question, why did they hire Paul Hackett in 1996? <laughs> well, Pete Carroll wasn't their first choice either. That's I mean, true, and – He wasn't – no one liked the hire at SC back then. They didn't. They thought he was too East Coast. They didn't think he was going to fit in well there. But his personality. He's all, being, he's all sunshine. Being all a perfect sunshine. fit. Uh, I think that he's got a good. Uh, Helton's got a good staff there, and he's just a steady hand, which is kind of what those players need, especially after dealing with Sark and Lane Kiffin, who are basically unstable and inconsistent as coaches. Great minds. Great, great, great football minds. Stick them in a dark room with film and have them drop plays, and there's nobody better. But leading the program, it gets just – they're a little off and on for various reasons, unfortunately. Um, So, yeah, LSU-BYU. I think LSU is going to win that 27-17, something like that. I don't think it's going to be that high scoring. I think it's going to be probably 17 to 9. LSU disappoints me every year. I thought they had a really good chance of being really good last year. And then they go and they whip the bed against Wisconsin, which I watched in a bar. And is my that is my least favorite 
form of watching a football game in a bar, so it made that loss suck even worse. Do you have any other games on the docket that you want to talk about? Well, we will be traveling eastward to Washington State University to watch them lose to another lower conference opponent in Montana State. So there's that. The Cougars will see what their season looks like after week one. After we week one. More about that next week. They should be a good team. They should win eight to ten games. But starting with five homes games could be both a blessing and a curse. It could get them on a roll. It could also get them, if they struggle, if they go anything worse than four and one, if they go three and two or worse, it could set up for a pretty disappointing season for Coug fans. Uh, just because you, you've got to start hot. They only have two of their last seven games at home. And yeah, one of them... tend to be... Sometimes they're better on the road. One of them is against Stanford. That was true when they were bad. When they were five, when the, a few years ago, Leach's first year, they would play close losses at close losses on the road and get their asses kicked at home. Um, I last year they lost to Boise, they lost to Colorado on the road, they lost to UW and Eastern at home. The previous year, they lost to Cal. At home. You'd, no, Cal was on the road. UW on the road. On the road. And I don't remember that Stanford at home. Portland State at home. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I have no idea. I refuse to make a real prediction about that team until I see them lose their first game, and then we'll know what we have with them. Maybe they'll win, and we'll go undefeated. Meanwhile, they're losing the Apple Cup. Speaking, good segue, speaking of the University of Washington Huskies, they are traveling all the way across the country to Piscataway, New Jersey, to play Rutgers on Friday, September 1st. They played Rutgers last year in their opener at Husky Stadium, beat them, I think, 58-3, to it felt like, uh, kind of spring springboarded their season. I think that 48-13, it was 24-0 after the first quarter. That game could have been 100 to nothing, or similar to what Michigan put up on Rutgers, which I think was 78 last year. Yes, that definitely was. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised if Rutgers, I was right, 78 to nothing, um, is a little bit pesky early on, even though it's UW style under Chris Peterson to go for the throat early. You'll see some Mickey Mouse trick play. You'll see a very a couple deep routes. They're gonna try and score early. They're gonna try and take Rutgers' throat out and hope Rutgers quits. Even if they don't quit, they're probably gonna get their ass kicked. But we'll see. UW is gonna be scary good this year. I think. I think they're gonna be worse than they were last year. I I, I still think they're gonna be good this year. I still think they're the class of the Pac-12 North. Uh, even though I think I also think they're worse than last year, just because they lost so much in their secondary. Um, John Ross can't replace John Ross. I mean, Dante Pettis is good, but not the same type of player. They're replacing that entire secondary. Mm-hmm. The, the secondary was great. Uh, the front seven was great. They're returning most of the guys on the front seven. I think it's going to be a step back, but I still think it's going to be enough for them to win the Pac-12 North. I think they're going to lose to Stanford, but they're going to win the division. And then they're going to lose to USC in the title game. 
That would be my guess. I think I think USC will beat them in the Pac-12 title game. Which means USC is going to start the season one and four and miss the title game. Because that's USC for you. That's true. The last year they were ranked in the top five was Bark- Matt Barkley's senior year. They finished seven and six in a loss in the Sun Bowl. To who? Georgia Tech? Yep. And they did not want to be there at all. Yeah, there's a bro in the locker room at halftime and everything. They just quit. Well, they didn't have a defense because Monty Kiffin thought he was defending against the NFL in the 90s, and he was running against the Pac-12 at its probably peak when Todd Graham and Rich Rod had good squads. Stanford was great. Oregon was great. Uh, UCLA was pretty solid. Utah's always solid. Always solid. Utah has hired, I believe, a, I think, an Eastern Washington offensive coach or some guy who's going to run the air raid-ish in the passing game. That's so why Troy Williams didn't get the starting spot. They're going to – they know that the difference between them going 9-4, and 10-3, and three, and just missing and uh, winning the conference is passing game. Uh, so – they're replacing their stud running back, too. They're replacing Joe Williams. So He's a stud because the offensive line is a stud. Well, and because he had a couple game break in the middle of the season. They're also early in the season, put the start of the year. Um, Utah's replaced a couple guys up front, but they just kind of, I think they created those guys in the lab. They're tall, they're lanky, they're mean, they have a lot of tattoos. They do a couple Samoans, a couple angry white guys. Uh, they're well coached. Utah always has great special teams. Solid defense, not great, not great defense, but a good front four. So they'll be good. We'll see how the passing game goes. It might take a couple years to stick. They've had, I think, a different OC the last 15 years, it seems like. Um, But they'll be good. They're always good. They're always solid. I think Colorado's going to take a step back this year. I think Colorado's year five and seven. Mm -hmm. I think that that year was an aberration because uh, they got all of their tough games USC aside, at home. Um, I, I agree. I think they lost their quarterback. They lost their entire defense. They lost their defensive coordinator. Which, by the way, no one is really talking about, but I think that's a huge get for Oregon. It, it'll pay off in a couple of years. There's no talent on Oregon, so on defense. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I want to talk about who you think are the most overrated and underrated teams in the, in all of college football. I'm going to give you mine here in a second. Obviously I'm going to let him talk a little (laughs) bit about Penn state. So go ahead. Tell me why you think Penn state is overrated. I think teams that base their success on momentum rather than any schematic brilliance that's unsustainable success. So I do not think, I also think James Franklin is a clown and he's not a good coach. And that just about sums it up. They also got super lucky last year beating Ohio State with that blocked kick return for a touchdown. They uh, got waxed by Michigan. So I agree. I think they are overrated. I think they are a top 20 team. I would yeah, say I'd a say top 20 team. I don't think they're a top five team. Like I think what people are putting seven back. to eight win team. That got 11 wins last year. Well, an eight win team could be top 20. I mean, 
And then you've got, uh, for me, for my most overrated team, I'm going deep in the heart of Texas. The Texas Longhorns, because for some reason, they are ranked. That doesn't make any sense. They are ranked 23rd. And Even their coach said they shouldn't be ranked. It's based all on that coach right there. Um, this is a team that lost to Kansas last year. Kansas's first conference win in three years, I want to say. They almost beat TCU two years ago. I think that's as close as they've been in three or four years. Yes. So somehow the Associated Press and the coaches both thought Texas should be good enough to be ranked right between 22 and 25. Uh, I don't see it. I think that Texas is probably the fifth best team in the Big Ten, or excuse me, the Big 12 with 10 teams alone. I, Oklahoma is going to whack some West Virginia, Kansas State, TCU. Wax people, but they're all they're all going to beat them. Though I don't see I don't see Texas getting. I don't see Texas with a winning record, to be honest. Um, I don't know a lot. I Tom Herman was the hot name because he won twenty three games or whatever in two years at Houston, but I don't see it. I don't think that Texas is going to do anything this year. And we'll see about the years to come. But Texas is definitely my most overrated team. I think Tom Herman's a good coach. He'll get them going in the right direction. But I think they're an absolute tire fire right now. Do you do you have an underrated team? Georgia. Georgia. I think they got a good coach. I think they lost a couple games that could have gone either way last year. They were starting a freshman quarterback, true freshman quarterback. Got a ton of talent. They're recruiting well. And they just need to get down the details, and they'll be fine. Isn't that always the case with Georgia, needing to get down to the details? I think that they have a coach now that emphasizes the details rather than Mark Richt, who was a, he's a very good coach, but he's not about the details. And Kirby Smart is... A meticulous guy, even though he has the haircut of a 12-year-old in 1948. So that's my pick. My most underrated team, I'm actually going back to Texas for it. Uh, TCU, in my opinion. Just because I, Gary Patterson has that defense experienced, and I think every three years or so, they exceed expectations. And I think this is going to be one of those years. I think they have a couple of down years by his standards, but I think they're going to be bouncing back this year. I think they're going to win nine to 10 games this year. And I think they're going to finish no worse than third in the big 12. That is my, my opinion. That is my, my guess on uh, TCU. I just, I, I like Gary Patterson. I think he's a great coach, and I think that they are going to be surprising people this year. I think they're like any other smaller program where occasionally the guys just don't develop. They get guys that don't really fit the mold, and they're trying to coach them up and beef them up, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, so I could definitely see it working. He's had many 
years in the past where it's been a down year and it's always been followed by an 11 win plus season. So nice pick. Thank you very much. We will uh, come back on these picks at the end of the year and see how we do. Exactly how wrong we were. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about just one more thing, and that is Pat's favorite topic, the Heisman Trophy. What do you want to talk about? Well, Pat, who do you think should win the Heisman Trophy in 2017. The best player in college football. Not the best quarterback, not the best running back. The best player in college football. I think Jabril Peppers is probably one of the better players in college football last year. By some, They only played him on offense last year, so he could get consideration for the Heisman. The last Heisman winner that I acknowledged was Charles Woodson. That's 20 years ago this year. He was a great, one of the greatest players ever to play in college football. That uh, that trophy is absolute bullshit, and that's my opinion on that. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it got it got to a level where it wasn't the best player; it was just the best player on a championship team or the best quarterback. To me, that reached new heights for Indomitian Sue because he was, without oh, yeah. a doubt, the most dominant player in college football that year. He was Steve, a modern Steve Edmond, who also should have won the Heisman over the clown Desmond Howard. And who won, who won the Heisman when Sue won it? Was that Bradford? No, that was 2009 when Sue was great. Ingram? Ingram. Mark Ingram. So yeah, at least it wasn't. Running, a... You have a running back, who, as we all have learned through the wonders of the NFL, is just about only as good as his offensive line, unless you're Barry Sanders or Marshawn Lynch or Walter Payton, and therefore a running back should very rarely win the Heisman. And Endemic and Sue, who is completely unblockable. He almost single-handedly won that uh, Big 12 championship game. He did win the game. They put one second left on the clock. That's true. That's true. Uh, I'm with you. I think that the Heisman Trophy is a popularity contest, and it's just the best quarterback on the best team award. I think Sam Darnold is a front runner. I honestly, he's a great player. Usually, the guy who's the front runner is not going to win it. Um, I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to repeat. Um, I can see Darnold winning it. I could see one of about 10 quarterbacks winning it. I think people figured out Lamar Jackson. You blitz him, you don't sign him. There you go. All right, well, that will sum up our first podcast, our week-long college football podcast. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. And-